You're listening to Love Well with Holly. On this podcast, we share real life stories and experts' knowledge to help guide you and walk alongside you in all phases of womanhood. We are here to educate and empower you to take charge of your health so that you can love yourself and others well. We are so glad you're here. Now let's get into today's episode. So this is my sister, Allison, that we've got here, and we're going to talk a little bit about her fertility journey. Hello. So hello. All right. So I just want you to start by just kind of telling me a little bit about you and your life. All right. Well, my name's Allison. Um, I guess starting with my married life, I've been married for almost five years in December, and so I work in the, or I used to work in the NICU at the Children's Hospital here in Nashville um, for about five years, and now I work in pre and post op in the Children's Hospital here in Nashville. Very nice. So yeah. we know that you have gone through quite a journey with fertility. So let's just kind of dive right in, start in the very beginning. How did you guys get started trying to conceive? What did that look like? Kind of tell me about that first, um, because you guys did try to conceive for two years. Try to just tell me a little bit about that first year of trying to conceive. Yeah. So it was the year that you and Max got married. So that was what? 2020. 2020. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What a fun year. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, I guess it was my right after my birthday. My 28th birthday. Which is in September. Yes. (laughs) So about two or three months after y'all got married. Um, At that point, I was, I had been ready for a while, uh, but I knew Matthew was kind of hesitant. That's my husband, by the way. Um, And so we finally had that conversation in September and I got my um, IUD removed about a couple weeks later. And so thus began the process of trying to conceive. So we... um, since I am a nurse, I kind of knew like generally that everything was on track because I was having 28 to 30 day cycles every month. My period came right back. I had no issues as far as that goes. Um, and I guess about December of that year, so we started in September, about December. So I was, it had been a couple of months at that point and I just was like, really starting to feel super disappointed. And I noticed that was when I started to notice like how it was taking an effect mentally on me. Um, and you know, we weren't really telling people at that point, it was still early. We, I still had the like image in my mind of like, Oh, it's going to be a huge surprise. Like we'll get to tell everyone, like maybe I'll get pregnant in December. We'll get to tell everyone for Christmas or whatever. Um, and so that was in December. That was in December. Yeah. Okay. So you have been trying for just a few months at that point. Yeah. And so at that point, I was, um, I guess, were you tracking? Were you doing anything like that yeah. at that point? Um, I don't think I started tracking until December, like truly like taking the ovulation test. Um, that was when I started tracking that way, but I was tracking like, um, everything else, like my period symptoms, all, all that kind of thing. So I started like really doubling down in December, started doing, um, ovulation kits and taking my basal body temperature. Um, and just like literally like following all of the rules as far as, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the SMEP method. It's like, it's about the timing of like when you should try (laughs) as Mm -hmm. far as like when you're in your cycle. So what does that stand for? Um, It is the sperm meets egg protocol. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Okay. I've never heard of that. Yeah. It's, um, I had a lot of coworkers suggested to me and they were all successful with it. So I was like, oh, sure. I'll give it a whirl. So what does that mean? Um, It's just a schedule of like when. So like a week after you start your cycle. So cycle day one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like day seven or eight, you, um, have intercourse mm-hmm. every other day until you get a positive, um, ovulation test. And then you mm-hmm. have sex three days in a row 
skip a day, and then one more time. That's a lot. It, it is a lot. <laughs> That's it's a lot. lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's quite regimented. Yeah. It's very. So we, we did that. And I I like, I was doing all of the things, all the things. And also keeping all of this to myself at this time in like December, January. So like I said, I was tracking meticulously. And I knew that based on my cycle and everything that month, if I was going to find out, it was going to be like on Easter. And I was like, oh, yes, the Lord is going to give me this. I was like, I'm going to find out I'm pregnant on Easter. Like, it's just going to be like the whole the whole thing. Um, so actually the night, the Saturday night before Easter, I started my period. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And I just remember being totally off the next day and talking to mama and and daddy actually and yeah. just like people are gonna make fun of us for saying mom and daddy I yeah know. my mom and dad sorry mom and dad we say mama and daddy okay we're from the <laughs> south it's fine um and so I mean they obviously knew something was up and I think they kind of knew what it was I don't really know um what they thought but I just kind of like dumped it out I was like we've been trying to get pregnant and it's just been super disappointing and like I just don't understand why you know God's not giving me this and mm-hmm. It was just that really started the the mental, emotional, spiritual journey for me um, was that that day. And actually, that Sunday, I know you weren't there, but uh, that Sunday at church, this was Easter Sunday, mind you, he, the sermon that he preached was on how Sarah, was it Sarah and Abraham? How she, yes, how they waited for oh, so yes. long yeah. to have a baby. And I was like, dude. <laughs> Yeah. I was like, it's Easter Sunday. Why are you preaching on this? And it just felt like it was really like it was meant for me because I did have that big breakdown that the day before. Um, So, yeah, after that, that Monday, literally the next day, I booked my first appointment to see a therapist. And it was honestly the best decision I ever made as far as this whole process was deciding to talk to someone about it. Um, And I can't recommend it enough for anyone, not just someone who's going through infertility. Um, It really like changed my perspective and helped me learn so much about myself and like how I respond to, um, you know, emotional things that can be emotional. Um, So what really got you to that point? Oh my goodness, my voice. What really got you to that point? Was it that Sunday? Yeah, I think it was all building up um, because, like I said, I was keeping, sorry, I was keeping all of this to myself and I wasn't telling anyone. And I was going through that up and down of every single month. Like you, you just really like psych yourself up. You're like, yes, this is the month. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to get, pre- we're going to get pregnant this month. And So you're like hopeful and you're excited and then you have the crash of like it's a no again. And so like going through that, that cycle of like a roller coaster up and down every month, it just like built up and I wasn't talking about it and I wasn't telling anyone about it. And I really wasn't talking to Matthew about it either. Like we were like, oh, yeah, you know, I started my period. It's it's a bummer, but we didn't really like talk about it in depth, like how I was feeling. I feel like for women that especially once you decide to get pregnant, it's like all or nothing and you're so dead set on it. And it's almost like it can feel I'm I can imagine that it can feel one sided sometimes that you're doing all these things. You're trying to do all that and you're trying to take on all the stress and all of it. I could see it being way too much to handle for most people. Oh, yeah, 100 percent. And I was like really. I wasn't telling anyone how how much it was affecting me because I was like, at the end of the day, it's only been a couple of months, you know, like other people wait a lot longer. Yeah. And I just didn't think it was like worth, you know, being upset over, but it really was. Um, and it was something that was important to me and something that I wanted. And you know me, like I'm very driven. <laughs> Once yes. I want something, I've decided I I want it. I want it now. Yeah. <laughs> so Not a whole lot was, of patience. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I've learned. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was that was a hard pill for me to swallow. And to just like feeling like not like something was wrong with me physically, but like something 
was wrong with me like spiritually like god mm-hmm. was punishing me for something that i did or didn't do and that was just something that i had to really like work out and um talk a lot about in therapy do you feel like it affected your marriage at all oh yeah for sure like that toll that you were going through you know yeah i mean no matter what you go through in life it affects your marriage like it's either going to build it up or it's going to break it down so yeah. um in the beginning i i was very hesitant to um talk to matthew about it and like i just didn't want to like overwhelm him with my feelings because they were very overwhelming to me yeah <laughs> but through time i learned that like it wasn't fair for me to withhold that uh, from him and it was more therapeutic for me to tell him like hey you know I really don't want to go to this baby shower today because, you know, I started my period yesterday and I just don't think I can be happy yeah. today, you know, and it's nothing personal against anyone else. It's just, you know, sometimes you just can't quite muster up the energy to be mm-hmm. excited when you're going through something so difficult. Um, but yeah, so I started therapy and that was great and I loved it and that summer, I kind of, I was holding really, really tightly to tracking and like, I think all of that was just like being, it was way too overwhelming for me. So I let go of a lot of that and I still continued to track my ovulation throughout the summer, but I kind of took the time off and just kind of like was just a lot less regimented, I guess. Um, and that's everyone, that's everyone's advice. It's yeah. like, just don't, stop trying. Don't stress. <laughs> don't be stressed. Stop trying and you'll get pregnant. Yeah. The second and you I was stop like, stressing, you're going to get pregnant. I was like, look at me. I'm being so zen. <laughs> I don't care. It's fine. It'll happen. Right. And it's still, it was still heartbreaking every single time that mm-hmm. it was a no. Um, and that was even, so the first year will always be the hardest when people asked me about like, okay, you tried for two years. Like obviously IVF and all that was the hardest, right? No. The first year was definitely the hardest because there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do. Like, you know, like they say, you have to try for 12 months before you can go see a doctor um, or like get any testing done, which is not technically true. If you have any, if you have any concerns um, about your health or you feel like something's off, you don't have to wait 12 months. Like you can, you can go now. It doesn't, you can be two yeah. months. It can be, you want to have a kid in two years, but like you feel like you, you know, you need to get some of these things in order before. Um, or like you want to make sure that something, some of your lab levels or whatever it is are not off. Like you go now. Yeah. You, <laughs> you can, can go now. Advocate for yourself and make yourself yeah. healthy enough, even if that's not something that you necessarily want right now. Right. I think is what is yeah so important that a lot of people don't realize. And I think mm-hmm. like we have a lot of friends who are like, okay, I'm off birth control. And we've always been told, okay, you're going to get pregnant. Yeah. And that is, that's setting people up for such a disappointment mm-hmm. um, to yeah. just say, oh, if you stop birth control, you're going to get pregnant. There's so many more factors that go into that than just, not being on birth control like yeah there's so much more yeah and I mean that was my thought too because we waited until we were like ready ready like we I if it were up to me I would have come off of birth control a year before that yeah. um but yeah it's just you have to take it into your own hands because you you just never know you never know how long it's going to take and everyone that I knew that came off birth control was like next month they were pregnant. And I was like, okay, so mm-hmm. this is going to happen for me. And then month after month after month after month passed by and I was like, okay, something's wrong with me. Like this is not normal. And I was trying to like, you know, be in a good place mentally and focus on that. And so that kind of took the pressure off of us trying. But then we came to a, a, a year. And so at that point, actually rewind in July. So it was before it was a year. Um, in July, I went to, uh, my primary care. Well, he wasn't my primary care at the time, but I 
went to him because I knew that I hadn't been to one. So I was like, okay, I can get in. I can see a doctor and I can be like, hey, why am I not pregnant? Yeah. <laughs> so I went and saw him and I told him at that time that um, I have family history of thyroid issues. And I was like, maybe like, can you test my thyroid? Like make sure everything's normal. And he did. And he was like, everything's great. You're fine. Mm. Mm. <laughs> I know. love that because yeah, uh-huh. we know that if you go to your, which, well, we know, yeah. Allison and I know now that if you go the world to may not know. a primary care and ask to have your thyroid levels checked, they are checking for just your overall thyroid. They are not checking your, um, what's it called? Your antibodies. Um, TH4, is that what it's called? TH4 yeah. and TH3, something like that. That's what they do test. That's what they do test? Yeah. It's the antibody that um, that we got okay. tested later. Yeah. Well, it's whatever. They they leave out a, a little smidgen it's, that can it's just not a tell full, you a lot. It's not a full panel. Right. Let's just say that. Yeah. So where can they go to get a full panel? Do you know? <laughs> um, You probably know better than I do. <laughs> I had to go to two fertility doctors before I could get one. Um, But yeah, I don't, I don't know. I went to a functional medicine clinic and got a full thyroid panel. So yeah. You know, maybe maybe suss that out and see if you can find somewhere they can give you a full thyroid panel. Yeah. I feel like whether you want kids or not, like as a woman, knowing what's going on with your thyroid health, it tells you so much, so much. So mm-hmm. I feel like that's super important to yeah get your absolutely. thyroid fully checked. There's anyway, things. <laughs> that, this will be a different we podcast. tangent. <laughs> um. So yeah. So I went to him and he was like you're perfectly healthy. Like there's no reason why you, you shouldn't be getting pregnant right now. And I was like, cool. That helps a lot. <laughs> um, Love that. So um, two months later, I finally went, actually, I tried to go to my OB and they couldn't see me. So I'd been trying to conceive for a year at this point. And I tried to get in with my original OB and they couldn't see me until November. Yeah. We're angry at them. <laughs> I, I was like, are you kidding me? I just, I couldn't believe that, like, you know, I was having an issue and my doctor couldn't see me for three months. Um, So anyway, I found a different OB and I'm obsessed with him. He's great. And I went to him and told him everything that was going on. And I I mentioned to him as well. I was like, you know, maybe maybe he'll say something different. I was like, "Um, you know, I have a family history of thyroid issues. Like, can you check that? I, I just had it checked, but I was like, but just make sure, you know. It's been yeah. two months. Maybe something changed. I don't know. Um, so he did that. Um, and actually, the only thing that came back abnormal was my prolactin level was elevated, um, which is not abnormal. Um, it happens sometimes. Like in a lot of things I learned later, a lot of things affect it. Like if you've recently had sex, it affects your prolactin level. And if you have eaten that morning, it affects your prolactin level. Interesting. Um, and... So anyway, he put me on a prescription called – I'm probably saying this wrong and I'm a nurse and I should know. But I think it's called cabergoline, cabergoline, something mm. like that. Anyway, um, so I took that for about six months and that was supposed to help with my prolactin level. So um, essentially prolactin can inhibit your um, chances of getting pregnant. So prolactin is um, – So it is important. Yeah, it is. Um, But it was also something that was easily like fixable. Um, So he he explained it to me that um, prolactin is like what what makes you lactate like after you've had a baby. Mm -hmm. Um, So that can having an increased level of that can cause you to not get pregnant. Interesting. Yeah, it's definitely like it. Is it a hormone? Um, Yes. (laughs) Yes. We'll research later. (laughs) (laughs) I'm actually not sure yeah. um i should probably know that but i don't know what what month is this it's you're getting your second thyroid check where are we on your timeline this is september of 2021 of 2021 okay yeah. so um anyway he did that full lab panel and the only thing that was abnormal was the prolactin so he gave me that medication and um also started me on um letrozole which is, if you've heard of um, Clomid, it's like the newer version of Clomid. Gotcha. It's supposed to be less likely to um, cause twins and triplets. Um, yeah. So I started on that. 
Um, and so what we did from that point on, starting in September, we did timed um, intercourse with letrozole and um, tried to get pregnant that way. So basically what letrozole does is helps you make a high quality egg. Um, so I didn't know this at the time, but I wasn't, I probably wasn't making eggs anyway. Um, but we did that for three months. We did letrozole and timing for three months. And then. But you were ovulating, right? Yeah. Well, I was getting positive ovulation tests. My LH was surging, mm-hmm. but I didn't know if I was making eggs or not. Yeah, I guess technically you have no way of knowing. Right. Yeah. Um, so we did September, October, November. And then obviously all of those were no pregnancy. And then I went and saw my first fertility doctor in December of 2021. Yeah, 2021. Um, and it was an interesting experience. <laughs> um, I So I went to a very popular clinic here in Nashville and um, – Honestly, from the very beginning, I didn't like it very much. And so I always had in the back of my mind that there was another clinic out here, uh, out in Franklin that I might try and go to. Um, But I was like, I've already made an appointment with this place. I'm here. You know, the doctor's here. She's looking at me like, I'm just going to go through with this appointment. Um, So we started um, December. We did our first IUI with letrozole. So this is my fourth month on letrozole. And so an IUI, if you're not familiar, is um, it's called intrauterine insemination. So they take the sperm, put it into a catheter, and insert it into your uterus at the exact right time, right when you're ovulating. They um, monitor you through ultrasounds to make sure that you're making follicles, which turn into eggs or egg. Um, and then they put that uh, sperm into your uterus right at the right time, right before you ovulate. And then you wait and see if it turns into pregnancy. And we did three of those. So we did December, January, February. And at that point, um, after the third, I had already made up in my mind. I was like, if this doesn't, if this one doesn't result in pregnancy, I want to go to a different clinic. So why is that? What was your like hesitancy with that clinic in the first place? Like, why were you like, mm, I might go somewhere else? Um, well, so I saw the doctor for the first time on my very first appointment in December. And I was there probably throughout the next three months, like, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 times with like monitoring and IUIs. And I never saw her again, which I was like, I just didn't love yeah. that, that I wasn't seeing the same person every single time. And I was, it's a huge clinic and there's lots of uh, doctors and lots of nurse practitioners. Like, I mean, it's great that there are so many people, but I, I just really wanted some consistency of like seeing the same person and them knowing me and like caring about me <laughs> and yeah. my situation. And I'd reached out after our second failed IUI and I was like, you know, should we be doing something differently? Like, should we change the medications? Should I, you know, should I be changing what I'm eating? I don't know anything like give me some feedback so that I can make this happen. (laughs) You know, like obviously one and two didn't work. So what can I do differently this time to make number three work? And they basically were just like, you know, there's nothing else you can do. Like, this is what, this is what we're doing. Like makes my skin crawl. Yeah. And they're like, we're following protocol. They're very protocol heavy too, which I was which made me hesitant because I was like, I'm a person. You're more than not a, a protocol. protocol. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not yeah. a protocol. I'm a human being with feelings. And, and everyone's like, so different. You cannot use yeah. the same protocol for every single person. And there are always, always, no matter what your like issue or diagnosis is, there's more than likely something that you can do with your diet and or lifestyle to help with whatever issue you're going through. Not yeah. saying it'll fix it. Right why we have medicine but it can always help and it drives me crazy when doctors are like no there's nothing else you can do eat potato chips and drink beer and nobody cares <laughs> right like no that's not gonna help yeah. and I that's probably too when I really started to crack down on like 
what I was eating and drinking and not drinking and all of that stuff, uh, which is a whole nother like thing that we can get into um, because nutrition became like a really I, I would almost say obsessive part of oh, yeah. our we'll, we'll my definitely journey. talk about that. Um just because it was it was something that I could control. So it was something that I, you know, really dove into was nutrition. Um but anyway. So you went to this new clinic. Yes. So I went to a new clinic. After two IUIs with the other clinic? Three. Three. So, okay. so at, right after um our third IUI, I made the appointment for the next month just in case it didn't work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And lo and behold, it did not. Is there so, a a just for anyone out there who might be like, oh, we're not able to conceive? I'm kind of thinking about IUIs. Is there any word of advice to do or not do an IUI? Or what would you tell someone who's thinking about an IUI? How many should you do? What do you think having gone through it? Yeah. So the standard protocol is that you try three IUIs. I don't know who came up with this. Um, I don't know where it comes from, but I think it's insurance-based maybe, which, you know, seems legit. Um, But they tell you that you can do three IUIs before you can consider IVF. But what they don't tell you is that, like, it's ultimately your choice. So if you do two IUIs and you're like, you know, I don't want to spend another however much money um, towards another IUI, just want to go ahead and do IVF, you you can. They tell you not to, but you can. It's your choice ultimately. Um, would you suggest that someone do an IUI or not? Or what it, would you think after having gone through it? I mean, it just depends on your diagnosis. And I, I'll say this. I, at this point, I had no diagnosis. My diagnosis was unexplained infertility. So at that point, we were like, there's no reason not to try this. It's not like I had right. endometriosis or, um, oh, what's the other one? PCOS. PCOS. Yeah. We didn't have any diagnosis to go off of. Um, so there was no reason for us not to. So it, it would be different for everyone. It just depends on what what you have or don't have, I guess. Yeah. So you went to this new clinic and what did you decide to do at this new clinic after three failed IUIs? So we went to the new clinic and um, I told her what I told the last three doctors (laughs) that I had a history of, um, or my family had a history of um, thyroid issues and I would like that tested again. Third (laughs) time's the charm. Yeah. And I was like, and if there's anything else, like I, obviously they sent my full panel of like what the old clinic had done um, to my new doctor. And so she's like, I'll take a look at all of your paperwork um, and all that and make sure there's not anything else that we want to test for. I was like, oh, okay. So at the time, I didn't know um, that she was testing for additional things. Um, But I went to my initial appointment and they drew blood. And um, probably about a week later, she called me and she was like, so I've looked at your lab results and... um, it looks like you have Hashimoto's. And I was like, wait, what? Isn't that a thyroid issue? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then she also told me that my um, AMH was low. I don't remember the exact number, but. So what's AMH? So, um, AMH is, it's an indicator. I can't tell you what it stands for right now. I don't remember, but um, it's an indicator of your egg reserve, essentially. Okay. It's like how many eggs you have left. And at this time I was... 29 but I had the egg reserve of like a 40 year old interesting yeah and so this was something that the first clinic did not test at all like they just went ahead with IUIs and didn't know that I had a low AMH which you would think that would be a standard right for them to test something like that because like let's figure out what's going on with you before we try to you know put you through all of these procedures right and had we known that we could have skipped doing IUIs and gone straight to IVF. Yeah. I don't know if we would have made that decision had we known this information. I'm not sure, but it it would have been good to know yeah. before, you know, going through three IUIs. Yeah. Plus the Hashimoto's would have been really yeah. good to know. Considering this was the fourth doctor who tested my thyroid and the first one who actually tested the antibody level, I was um, overwhelmed to say the least whenever I got all this information back. Um, Did you feel 
empowered with information or were you disappointed or sad? Well, so like in the beginning, I was like, I just wish there was something to fix. You know, like I wish I had a diagnosis so I could like do something. Yeah. And so honestly, I immediately regretted that <laughs> once I did get a diagnosis because I was like, wow, this is way scarier than unexplained infertility. Like it, even though you can't do anything for that, like this was like some a whole new ball game that I didn't know about. And if you Google low AMH, it's not good. <laughs> and <laughs> most I, things aren't good. When you I Google remember. Them. I remember sitting in my car after that appointment, and I just bawled my eyes out for like an hour <laughs> because yeah. I was just like, "This is that was a lot to take on," um, and I was just honestly so mad that no one had had tested this before. Um, so yeah, that was a big pill to swallow. Um, and I honestly, I don't think I told anyone for a while for like a couple of weeks just cause I needed to like process it. Um, so yeah, I, after that I fell in love with the clinic cause you know, they did the research and they gave me the answers I was looking for. And so we decided to move forward with IVF in February of 2022 it's 2022 yep. now <laughs> that's yep. this year so you moved into IVF in February so what does IVF look like as a want to be mama going through that what what does it look like emotionally and like physically like things you have to do to go through that so for people who are considering IVF what is that going to look like for them? Yeah. Um, so that's a great question. Um, first of all, I would say it's a marathon, not a sprint. <laughs> I really thought like. Yeah, it took so much longer than <laughs> yes, I think did. any of us were expecting. We're like, yeah. uh, February. Okay, we're going to be pregnant. You're going to be pregnant by April or something yeah, like that. And yeah. that is not how it went at all. I was, I went into it like thinking, you know, this is, this is it. This is the thing. This is the golden ticket. Like I've arrived to IVF. I've gone through all of this time and now like it's going to happen immediately. And that is not how it went at all. God said, ha ha, that's hilarious. <laughs> no, actually you're going to wait a lot longer. Yeah. <laughs> so the process in general takes a lot of time. Um, and because I had a low AMH level, my doctor, um, she warned me at my first appointment. She was like, you know, I've seen a lot of people with low AMH and a lot of times you have to do more than one cycle of IVF to get enough eggs. And so that was like big pill number three to swallow at this what point. What is enough eggs? Like how many do you have to have? Um, so she defined enough eggs as 10 to 12. Um but she liked to have more than that just because as you go through the IVF process, um, those numbers dwindle down to like what, how many embryos you actually get. Um, so we ideally wanted to start with the maximum amount of eggs as possible before fertilizing. So how many eggs did you get? <laughs> well, um, so we ended up having to do two cycles of IVF, um, which takes two months, by the way. It, um, we started in February, I guess technically at the end of February, and then we did March, April of STEMs, and then in what April- What are STEMs? St stimulation shots. Sorry, I feel like I know you know, but everyone yeah. else doesn't know. Most people don't know what um, that means. So you go through a couple of weeks, I think it was 10 days before- um, we did our retrieval, but 10 days of, um, I'm not sorry, sub Q shots in your stomach. And that's of what, uh, it's called Follistim. I think, yeah, that was the name of it. Follistim. And it stimulates your ovaries to make as many, um, follicles, which turn into eggs as possible. Um, so with our first, I actually don't remember. I have to look and see how many it was. Do you remember? It was 12. In your first retrieval? Uh-huh. I think I have a note of it, actually. I don't know, but you ended oh. – I just know how many you ended up Right, right. Yeah, I can't remember. So our first – after our first retrieval, we got um, 12 eggs, and we were ecstatic. We were so yeah. happy. A whole dozen, <laughs> I baby. Remember, I remember you, you texted me that. A whole dozen. A whole dozen. Oh, we were so excited. And, too, I 
at that point she told me there were 12 um and I was like, oh, great. We hit the ma- the magic number. Like, we're yeah, not going to have to do, do another round. And then while I'm, like, still under anesthesia, she's like, and we're going to have to do another one, actually. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> what was her reasoning for that? Um, li- like I said before, she just wanted to maximize the amount of embryos we we're going to get. And her logic behind it, too, which I was really grateful for, is that, like, it's better to – go through two rounds of this on the front end than to get to the end of the yeah. IVF process and have no embryos and start all over. That's true. Yeah. So I, I really liked her process as far as that goes. Um, so yeah, I was really grateful for her process um, that she suggested doing two rounds. And I was very much like, you know, let's just get this over with. <laughs> it's like, I don't want to have to do this again. Yeah. So um, it was a little bit emotional finding out that we were going to have to do it again. I was just, I just remember being like, I even cried to Matthew and I was like, I just don't want to do this again. <laughs> it was so hard. It's so much on you physically and mentally and it takes up so much time. It It's just an overwhelming process. So like gearing up to do it again was just overwhelming to say the least. Um, and I thought it would happen like back to back right away and it was going to be another two months. And I was like, oh, great. How do you feel like you – like coped with that. Like, okay, I'm going to have to do this again. I, when, when I first found out that we were going to have to do a second round, I was honestly like just so defeated. Cause I was like, that was so much work and I just don't want to have to go through that again, financially, emotionally, like, and, um, physically, that's what I was looking for physically. <laughs> and had it been a year prior when I found out that information, it would have like wrecked me. But I, you know, I took a day, two days and I was sad about it. And then I put on my big girl pants and I was like, here we go again, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that's a a, um, a testament to like having gone through therapy and like learned ways to process that type of information and like really deal with it and – in a healthy way. In a healthy way, yeah. yeah. And like process the emotions, let them come and then let them go, you know? Um, and yeah, so we strapped in for round number two. And that time we got a total of 15 eggs, which was amazing, but only 12 of them were mature, which just means they're big enough to be uh, fertilized. So, um, I also was super excited after this round because that meant we got to the stage of actually fertilizing our eggs. Um, So in the five days following our second retrieval, we found out how how many of these eggs were being fertilized and how many of them made it to the day five stage embryo. Um, So of the total 24 eggs that we got, 13 of them fertilized and I remember the day that we found that out Matthew's like so are they like actually gonna be 13 or (laughs) cheaper by the dozen (laughs) I was like whoa panic but we knew we knew those numbers were gonna go down um and then over the next few days we found out um it was it went down to eight and then at the end of day five we had four embryos that we were able to freeze so then what'd you do after your four embryos And did you opt in to do genetic testing? So after the eggs were frozen, it was another two-month wait before our transfer. So I think we got the number on the embryos in May, and we didn't do a transfer until the end of July. So that was another like, great, we're going to have to wait two more months. Why was that? Um, Because we had to do a cycle of birth control, which I was not super thrilled about. Um, just because at this point I had done a ton of research on how terrible birth control is for you and like your electrolytes and your, um, a lot of vitamins and minerals, Yeah, your vitamins and minerals and just how it puts your body at like a depletion. So I wasn't excited about that, but it was the protocol. So I followed it and, uh, we did a month of birth control, which is called, I think they call it down regulation, which means they, they want your ovaries to not make eggs so that you basically don't end up with more than one pregnancy. Um, gotcha. So that the, the one that they put in is the only one. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, that process took two months because you do a month of birth control and then a month of monitoring 
um, with ultrasound and lab work. Gotcha. And you asked about genetic testing. So we actually opted out of genetic testing our embryos, first of all, because um, we both did genetic screening on ourselves and we did not like have anything in common, basically. So there wasn't any concern that we were both carriers of a certain disease. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a, it was a lot more money. And we we felt we both felt pretty strongly about um, the way that genetic testing works is that if anything is deemed abnormal on the genetic screening, which is not a perfect test, mind you, um, that those embryos would be discarded. So it could have dwindled our numbers even more. And we just felt like morally that that wasn't our decision to make, but you know, that's the Lord's decision. If, if that embryo wasn't meant to be, we'd rather it pass through me physically than, um, in a lab and someone just tosses it, you know? Yeah. Um, and everyone's different, you know, like a lot of people do genetic testing and if you, if we had had something in common, we, we probably would have. Um, but it just felt like something that we prayed about and decided that it was what was best for our family. And we didn't think that it was necessary. And we didn't want to know if it was a boy or girl. And you get all that information too. Yeah. <laughs> at the time, I thought I didn't want to know at all, like until delivery. But I don't know. Now I'm like leaning more towards finding out. Yeah. So you had your transfer at the end of July. Yeah, July 28th. I had my very first transfer, and it felt like a marathon to get to that point. Yeah. (laughs) So I was very excited. Um, So was that, like, procedurally uncomfortable or anything like that? Was it pretty easy? Was that part, like, a breeze? Was it still difficult? It was was a lot easier than I thought it was going to be. The retrievals were definitely, yeah, way worse. And and honestly, they weren't terrible. There are definitely worse things. Um, But you just have to go under anesthesia for the retrievals. And so, like, that recovery is just a little bit slower. Um, But with the transfer, you're actually awake. And Matthew got to be in there um, in the OR with me. Um, The worst part about it is that your bladder has to be full. Ugh. (laughs) Yeah. And mine was very full, like way too full. (laughs) I got there and the nurse actually, she, um, she was going to do an ultrasound of my bladder to see how full it was. But the second she like looked at my stomach, she was like, oh, your bladder is so full. Yeah. (laughs) She's like, I'm going to need you to go take a 10 second pee. And I was like, 10 seconds. That was the cruelest form of punishment I think I've ever been through. Yeah. Like you're, you have to be so bad and you can only pee for 10 seconds. Oh, it was, it was not fun. Um, but yeah, so I felt much better after peeing a little bit, but then they take that same ultrasound and they press right on your bladder and watch as the catheter goes into your uterus and they implant the tiny little baby into the very top of your uterus. And at that point, it's just a blastocyst, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah, we, nice. uh, Matthew likes to call it a blasty. A blasty. <laughs> baby blasty. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, we had that done on July 28th and, um, the recovery was not bad. I just kind of took a rest day and then resumed life as normal as possible and waited, uh, how long was it? Nine days before we tested. Really? Yeah. It felt so much faster than that. (laughs) Oh, no, it felt so much longer than that. So fun fact, fun fact, Allison lied to everyone about when her blood work was. And I even wrote it in my calendar with a little heart, Allison's blood work on my calendar. And come to find out, we go to her house, you know, whatever day that was. It was like a Saturday, a few days before, like almost a week before her quote, quote, blood work was. It wasn't a lie. When she was supposed to found out. Yeah, Okay. When she was supposed to find out, and she told us, I'm pregnant. (laughs) That she's pregnant. It worked, yeah. So there's so much of this process that's not a secret. So I just, I wanted to be able to have some, like, like just a tiny bit of, like, surprising people. Um, So I knew that my blood test was on Monday, which is what I told everyone, but all the while. Except for me. You told me I was on Thursday. (laughs) Did I? Yeah, no. 
I thought you knew it was on Monday. No, you told me it was on Thursday. And then mom goes, I think your blood work's Monday. And I was like, no, it's on Thursday. <laughs> well, I was trying to push it as far as I could. Yeah. Because either way, I, we knew we wanted to find out together and before uh, the blood test so that either way we had time to be excited together or, you know, be, you know, sad. So luckily we were not sad. We were very happy. Um but we, I had a blood test schedule for Monday and we planned on testing on Sunday. Um, but on Saturday, Matthew convinced me that I should take a test. Oh, <laughs> so I bet it didn't take a lot of convincing though. It, it didn't. <laughs> I was just so nervous because, and I told him this was a very emotional night, but I just told him, I was like, I'm just not ready to find out that it's negative. <laughs> yeah. You know, cause they had all been negative up until this point. Yeah. And so I just, I was like guarding my heart and my emotions in that sense because I was like, if it's no, I just need time to process that. And I just, I really thought it was going to be negative because I've literally never seen a positive pregnancy test. Yeah. (laughs) And I remember when I saw it, um, we were just like laughing and crying and being so happy. And I, I was like, I didn't even know that they could look positive <laughs> like you thought you had had some faulty ones or something yeah, i was like maybe maybe there's it's just a bad batch yeah how but many yeah. tests did you take uh, that night i took three and then i took another one the next morning so by the time i saw you sunday night i had taken four yeah so then you had some blood work done and then basically with that blood work they're checking your hcg levels essentially did they check anything else um, yeah, they did do – they checked my progesterone and estrogen levels because I do – I take um, oral estrogen and IM, which means intramuscular, um, progesterone. And if you've been through IVF, you know how horrible that is. It's terrible. Um, so they just wanted to make sure they need, didn't need to adjust my medications in any way and everything looked great. And then um, actually my HCG level on Monday was in the – I don't remember exact, but I think it was 200s. And then on Wednesday, two days later, so it's it's supposed to double every 48 hours. Um, so they just wanted to confirm that everything was going up and it was like 460 something on Wednesday. So they're like, great, congratulations, you're pregnant, go home and wait two weeks. <laughs> I was like, oh good, another two week wait. I love this. So what was this two week wait for? Um, just for time to pass uh, because at this point I was only, I think when you find out you're four weeks pregnant, which don't yeah, ask like, me how that works. Like so brand new, pregnant, yeah, very like, fresh, very very fresh. So um, when I had my first ultrasound, which was this past week, um, I was six and a half weeks pregnant, mm-hmm. and we um, got to hear the heartbeat Aww. and see the tiny little baby. <laughs> and it thing. still has a, what they call a, a yolk sac. And Matthew was like, "Is that the head?" <laughs> No, it's not. No, it's the sack. It's the sack. So yeah, it was. It's it's been a stressful but very exciting time, um, finding out that we're pregnant, and been fun to tell everyone. It it's been emotional because it's it's felt like we would never get to this point. Yeah, and I thought that we would for sure go through a failed transfer before one would be successful. I don't know why. I I guess I was just being negative. I don't know. Yeah. Um I feel like you do have to you you, you have kind to prepare of, for the yeah, worst. You, you kinda know? have to prepare for yeah. Being, you know, disappointed. Exactly. Because then it's great when you're not. Right. And it was welcomed news. Um and I told Matthew too, I think waiting t- for the first ultrasound was worse than waiting to find out if we were actually pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, what if the baby's not in the right spot? What if it's ectopic? You know, like yeah. all of these things that that I know because I'm a nurse, I'm it's just like running through my head. Um so anxiety was high um during that time, but feeling much better about it now. What do you feel like is like the main thing that you have learned through this process? I mean, it's been two years. Mm-hmm. And you're finally pregnant and, you know, you're kind of whoop, whoop. on that other other side of things. But for somebody who is maybe going through, you know, a lot of failed pregnancy tests, wondering what they're going to do next, you know, what would you say to that person? What do you feel like you have really gained from the experience? 
Yeah. Um, so I would say what I learned most was how to be patient. <laughs> LOL. Yeah. Because as you know, I'm not very patient. Um, but no, I think mostly my advice to someone who's going through this process is that you have unfortunately no control over the situation. Like what what you can do is focus on you and your health and your how you're spending your time. And I feel like, especially in that first year, I I spent a lot of time not really being present in my life and like missing out on a lot of moments just because I I was dealing with this process that no one knew about. Um, and I think once I opened up about it and talked to people about our struggle, um, it was easier for me to kind of show up and, and be there. So I think my advice would be to take this time not to, um, pause your life or, um, let it take over your life, but to really work on yourself, your mental health, your, uh, physical health, um, your friendships, your, uh, spiritual relationship with the Lord, your, you know, just focus on making what you have good. And then hopefully you don't want you want you don't want the thing that you're waiting for to find you waiting. You want it to find you living, you know. So yeah. I I just thought about that a lot when I was trying to conceive. I'm like, what kind of mom do I want to be? Like, how can I work on myself now um, to be the best mom I can be? Because I can't control when I get pregnant, and I can't control when it's going to happen or what it's going to look like. Um, and just learning to kind of like give that over to the doctors and to the Lord, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, just like learning to live in the moment and not, you know, being, having those emotions when you have them, um, or letting them come when they come, but also letting them go, you know? Um, and yeah, I think that's nice. (laughs) So I do want to touch a little bit. So that's basically your, journey your story um I do want to touch a little bit on your health um you know after you got your accurate diagnosis Mm -hmm. your full thyroid panel Hashimoto's all that um how did things change for you in your health like what did you change yeah um so when I found out that I had Hashimoto's um, honestly, I had no idea what that meant. Um, and my, honestly, my doctor didn't tell me, my fertility doctor didn't tell me a whole lot of like what I should do other than here is a Synthroid pill, take this every day. And that was it. Um, so I kind of did a little bit more research on that and, uh, found out that, you know, there are a lot of things that I can do, like as far as, um, what I'm eating and how uh, I'm choosing to fuel my body. So I, that was when I cut out gluten. That was in February. So it technically, uh, the books that I've read don't say that you have to be gluten-free. Like it's not an allergy like celiac, but it can help decrease those levels um, of, what's it called? Like high, low levels. It can help your low thyroid become more normal Okay, if you don't eat gluten apparently. So, um, so yeah, I started diving into like, what's the best diet for IVF and Hashimoto's and like what that looks like. I read the book. Oh man, I don't remember the name of it. Do you, oh, did you read that book? Uh, um, so it's called Hashimoto's protocol. Um, it's written by, she's a farm pharmacologist. Right. <laughs> pharmacologist she's a a pharmacist (laughs) okay i was like okay it's called hashimoto's protocol it's written by a pharmacist um and she kind of dives into like how you can because she was basically this girl uh, or this doctor was diagnosed with hashimoto's and told the same thing as me like here's a pill that you'll take for the rest of your life and she kind of did a deep dive on like what else you can do because there wasn't a whole lot of information on like how diet can influence um Hashimoto's so I read that learned a lot um basically to sum it all up it was like don't eat gluten and eat healthy oh perfect so we don't have to read it (laughs) cool (laughs) 
<laughs> Anyone with Hashimoto's, you don't have to read the book. That's what it says. She goes into way more depth than that, obviously. But um, I learned a lot about like macronutrients um, and like how to balance a meal with like protein, carb, um, fat, and fiber and kind of like what that looked like at that time. Well, when was that? February. I was tracking my macros at that point, um, not for weight loss, but just for like making sure I was eating healthy. Um, and I'm trying to think what, at what point I started doing, when did we find out about that other thing that we, the metabolic eating? Mm, that was this summer. So it was like June. Maybe June. Like May, June. Yeah. Um, I think we started getting into that. Then. Yeah. So I was doing kind of following her Hashimoto's protocol. And then um, I just started – I don't even know how we found out about this. I, I don't – I think it was a podcast. <laughs> yeah. I, Actually. But which podcast? Where did it come from? Did, didn't you find out about it um, through Fully Rooted? Yeah, but how did we find out about Fully Rooted? I don't know. You sent it to me. Oh, it was on Jordan Dooley's. Oh, yes, yes, yes. That's how we found out about it. So we listened to a podcast by Jordan Dooley um, and first got introduced to what's called metabolic eating. Is that what it is? Yeah, pro-metabolic eating. Pro-metabolic eating, yeah. Um, And so I really started to dive into that, which is very interesting. And I know you're you're familiar with it, but it's basically like – because this Hashimoto's protocol was like – anti I say quote unquote inflammatory foods like dairy and um cheese obviously that's dairy you can cut that out um and uh anyway so it the pro-metabolic eating um talks about like getting basically back to I'm definitely going to explain this wrong but it's basically getting back to eating like your ancestors did so eating raw dairy it's very similar to um it's been called primal diet or ancestral Mm -hmm. diet it's it's all just pretty much going back to the basics of food yeah and basic grains carbohydrates Mm -hmm. basic um raw dairy raw cheese all that the way that they would have eaten it basically more fresh if you really want to right boil it down to something like more fresh, if God gave it to you, eat it. Right, that's, that's yeah. kind of how I thought about. it. Yeah, without having it's more food that has not been processed. It's way it's very heavy on not being processed. I don't know if I'm not if I'm saying that in yeah. a good way. I mean, obviously we're not experts, but no, not, I mean we've only been reading and listening. Yeah, about this type of eating um, since. We're still May, May. Yeah. Yeah. So um, anyway, I started incorporating that going into my first transfer, actually starting at the end of my um, second retrieval um, and then before the the transfer. Um, So I just – I hadn't eaten or drank, I guess, dairy in probably like three years. Yeah. (laughs) Just because – I mean – no one, no one drinks milk anymore. Yeah. Everyone drinks almond milk and puts oat milk in their coffee. And I was like, you know, why? Yeah. <laughs> I, well, I, so I've crazy. never had an issue with dairy. So why am I not drinking dairy? And I started drinking it and it's a beautiful thing. It is it's a beautiful so thing. good. <laughs> I sadly am not intaking it right now. Long story, probably we'll, we'll get into my things later on, but I'm currently not consuming it, but I was there for a minute when we first started, you know, researching into all of that. And it is, it's good stuff, but it is is finding the right kind of dairy. It's not just picking up a jug of Publix 2% or whole milk. That's, Mm -hmm. it's finding the right kind of dairy, which is, um, whole grass fed, by the way, in case you're wondering. Whole grass fed and raw if you can get it, mm-hmm. but raw is very hard to find. Um, yeah. You, it's kind of like being a drug dealer. You've <laughs> got to find somebody with the goods, yeah. with the cows, so you can get the raw milk. Um, but it's it's very much going back to the basics. And Allison and I have really gotten into into that 
in the last couple of months. It's very fascinating. Yeah, it is. We'll have we'll have to maybe do another podcast on it. Yeah, maybe one day. we'll need to like do some more research and then we'll come back to it. When we're a little more proficient on explaining it, yeah. <laughs> we'll uh maybe do another one. But yeah, it's I incorporated to a lot of um meat, like animal protein, I guess, and also um raw liver, beef liver actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People thought I was crazy when I was swallowing raw mm-hmm. beef. It's I mean be- raw beef, becoming- not raw beef, raw liver. <laughs> It's becoming a that's lot better. more popular. Beef supplements. Yeah. Most women are low on iron. I just had all of my levels tested. I'm super low on iron. And she was like, you need to eat liver. And I was like, ew. Yeah. <laughs> Gross. So I honestly found swallowing it raw was easier than trying to put it in a recipe. Because <laughs> you have to like. That just. That is. Swallowing it, it raw just sounds <laughs> terrible. It's really not that bad. Like I would freeze okay. it into little yeah, small you f- bites. You froze it, so that I've, made it a little different. I froze it. Um, you can also get supplements, which is probably where I'm going to start. Yeah, that's what I'm doing now. I just love because it. it's gross. When I'm going off it. on a tangent, but I do love like a liver pate. But I'm not going to spend. Yeah, but you also three don't want to eat liver pate every day. Yeah, that's true. I'm probably going to get a supplement. And just call yeah. it a day. So we're we're very new to all of this, but it's very interesting and highly suggest yeah. researching it. And oh, what's um, the, we can uh, recommend that podcast. What's the podcast? Um, fully rooted, freely rooted, fully rooted. Mm. No, it's freely rooted. <laughs> uh, it's definitely freely freely fully root. rooted. <laughs> Get them roots. Get them roots. I'm pretty sure it's what it is. Here, I'll look it up. I have it saved. Yeah. Okay, it is the Freely Rooted podcast. Yes. Another good one, if you're interested in um, learning more about this type of lifestyle, I guess, diet, diet lifestyle, I don't know what to call it, um, is it's a podcast called Are You Menstrual? Mm, um, love that one. It's really, really good. I highly recommend it and listen to it chronologically. So like starting with the very first episode and going up. Um, it's not like that on when you look it up, but listen to it that way. Yeah, that one's really good too. I've listened... I haven't listened to it in order, but I've listened to that one a little sporadically, but that one's really good. And Freely Rooted is really great. Um, they talk a lot about pro-metabolic eating and minerals and vitamin deficiencies in women and yeah. lots of really good stuff. I won't lie. A lot of it is very overwhelming, but you can. Yeah. there's a handful of things that you can start to incorporate um, that will help with your um, wherever you are in your journey. Um, it'll help you kind of reclaim your health and yeah. start the process you don't necessarily have to like overhaul and go get all these things done and all these tests done um you can start with adrenal cocktails mm-hmm. that we had before we started this podcast yes and for anyone who's wondering that is orange juice coconut water salt extra salt i like a lot of salt Blech. and collagen um so those basically help keep your blood sugar regulated which is really important for thyroid health um and, and they're really great. getting and being pregnant Yes, and they are really great to have between meals. They're very delicious. They taste good. Oh, my gosh. Ew. Actually, it tastes really bad to me right now. <laughs> Normally, I love I love them, but my taste buds are a little off these days. Yeah. So how many weeks are you right now? I am seven weeks in one day. Oh. The baby is the size of a blueberry, in case anyone wanted to know. Aw, little baby blueberry. Yeah, baby bloobs. Little blasty bloobs. <laughs> People are going to be like, they're so weird. I know. Okay. okay. So, is there anything else, any other resources or anything you know of for people going through IVF or fertility at all? Books to read, podcasts to listen to? Oh, I really love the book. Um, I guess it's technically for pregnancy, but it, it applies to before. I kind of – and it – goes a lot along with a lot of the like pro-metabolic eating is um real food for pregnancy is what it's called um and it's written by a registered dietitian who kind of follows like that like eat liver and all that stuff so um i really highly recommend that if you're interested in like nutrition as far as ivf and all that stuff goes um if you're local and you're listening please feel free to reach out to me and ask me any questions yes. that you might have um, about what clinics I like or doctors or anything like that. Um, I We shared, or 
not we, I shared kind of the beginning of our journey on Instagram just to kind of, what's your Instagram plug it? Oh, oh what is it? I don't know. <laughs> what is it? I think it's Allison Even K. if Johnson. you're not local and you just want to reach out to her on Instagram, just ask questions. I promise she doesn't buy. Yeah. Okay. So my Instagram is Allison K. Johnson. That's it. Um, A-L-O-I-S-O-N. Yeah. K. Johnson. Johnson. Can you spell Johnson? Johnson. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I think most people know how to spell Johnson. I'm not going to waste my breath there. Uh, yeah. So reach out to me if you have any questions about IVF or anything at all, or you just want to have a friend to chat with about trying to conceive. It doesn't have to be IVF questions, any of that. I'm happy to um, to answer any questions that anyone has uh, more specifically. And um, what was I going to say? books podcasts oh wait no no no. i was gonna say something about um oh right so i we shared i shared oh yeah our journey or that we were starting our journey of fertility treatments back in february on well actually it was april um on instagram and i've had a lot of people reach out to me and ask questions and it's just been really it's been a really good thing for me to be able to like have that out in the world and people know about and ask me about it makes me feel supported and it makes me feel like or I'm able to support other people who are going through the same thing. So if you ever have any questions um, or just want to chat, please reach out to me anytime. Very nice. Um, I think the only other question I have is, is my last question. Unless you have anything else you want to say or talk about or recommend. We can literally just chat and like. I know. I wish I had like clip art actual kind of questions to answer. Uh, like, you know, if you had a following yet. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Maybe one day. Um, I will say this will most definitely not be the last time Allison's on the podcast. I would love to, you know, follow you throughout this journey of being pregnant just in general. Because I yeah. feel like you won't mind. Well, it's just sister talk. You won't mind giving us the deets. Of no, all I don't mind at all. We can maybe do like a first trimester. Yeah. Situation. A little recap and yeah. and we can kind of talk through that. So we'll definitely be hearing more from you. But I'll just ask my last question that I ask all of my guests. Oh, all of them? <laughs> yeah, all of them. I'm, I'm the first. Shh. <laughs> what do you think it means to love yourself and others well? That's a deep question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay. Um, so I think it's it's all about like being in a good place with yourself first. Um, you know, being able to be present mentally um and take care of yourself physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And then you're able once you're able to love yourself and you're proud of who you are as a person, um, then you're able to spread that love to other people. Love that. Great answer. Thanks. All right. So I think that's it for IVF story. We are really happy that this one ended in in a positive, Woo-hoo. literally positive pregnancy test. Um, and we'll be hearing more from Allison later on. But we're really glad that you guys joined us for our first episode of Love Well. So we will hear from you guys later. And thanks for tuning in. Bye.